I'm Lauren Maxwell, and this is We're All Friends Here. Welcome to Let's Talk, a series of conversations about life's biggest questions. Today, I am grateful and excited to share that this is the final episode of season one of Let's Talk. The plan all along was to record 10 conversations and then to pause. I don't doubt that Let's Talk will return and I'm excited to see what might emerge, what form that might take. But in the meantime, I wanted to take this final episode of season one to reflect on what these conversations have represented about the experience of being a human in the world in the year 2020. So to help me have that conversation and take a look back, I've invited John Young-Shik Conklin, who's also my husband and partner, so that's convenient, to return. So we are flipping the mic, turning the tables, and talking about what I've learned from interviewing people about living during the pandemic. Hey, John, welcome back. Hey, hey, sweetheart. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing well. Um, I'm fresh off of our annual break, as are you, which meant two weeks away from the internet, two weeks off of our phones, no texting, no emailing, no social media, any of that, and really kind of immersing ourselves in um, nature, nature in its highest form. I think we were, we drove up to Maine and um, spent some time on the coast there. So I'm still kind of living off of that high and also like just enjoyed the break from the internet life so much that I'm, I'm thinking about how I can, um, maintain some of that going forward. Yeah. That's always really special for you taking time away from screens. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? I mean, we all get addicted to our phones and to our computers because our lives are there, but, uh, you have a special relationship with unplugging. Yeah. I mean, our phones are made to be addictive, right? I mean, they look like candy. They give us this, um, the dopamine hit of new information. And yeah, I changed my relationship with my phone a few years ago. And after coming back from our big trip out to the deserts of Utah and Arizona, I was just like, you know what? I want my mind to feel like more expansive every day. And I I recognize that my relationship with the internet, however much the internet has shaped me, my life, my generation, my career, I just recognize that I like my brain and my nervous system the way that they feel away from the internet. So, um, you know, our nervous systems just, I don't think we're built for this kind of frenetic pace, constant activity, constant stream of information. So at that point, I changed my relationship with my phone. I don't look at it in the morning until I've done some reading and some writing. And, you know, my close friends know they're like, well, yeah, if we text her in the morning, she's not going to get it till later. It's like a thing. But coming off of this trip, I just was so reluctant to step back into that world, you know, even an email, which is essential, um, that now I'm thinking it might be time to like revisit 
those changes I've made over time. And of course the pandemic like intensified, like, okay, we're all on the internet all the time. And we leaned into that in an even um, newer way than ever before. So even deeper way. Um, But now I'm like, yeah, maybe it's time to revisit again and even see going forward. Like how can this change? How should this look? How long does it take you to feel free of the phone? So for me, if I put it, if I put it on airplane mode and then leave it in the car, it takes me about a day to feel like I don't need it anymore. What, what about you? How long, how long does it take to break the addiction? I think it depends on what's going on. Like in everyday life, it's a bit harder, especially, you know, during quarantine, feeling a bit isolated. It's tempting to check in, especially if I'm like looking to procrastinate. But if I go to a beautiful place, like end of story, like turn the phone off, I'm done. It's very easy for me to not like feel that pull. So it's like, yeah, everyday life versus fantasy world, I guess. Of course, it's easier in a beautiful setting. Yeah, so we're we're coming off of two weeks in uh, the wilderness of Maine, which was beautiful, and it's a little surreal right now. Um, sitting back down at the computer to do a little work, or tell us how you were doing before we uh, uh, escaped and went on this adventure. I was fine, you know. I had settled into <laughs> this pandemic life. Um, we stay mostly at home. We have a couple of close friends that we see pretty regularly, usually outside on our porch. And I was feeling fine, but also didn't realize how much I was in need of a change of scenery, not just in terms of like, okay, I'm going to go crazy if I don't like see something besides these four walls. But for me, um, changing scenery and kind of like a sense of adventure and exploration opens my mind to new potential, right? So I can already see new pathways like for us, for me and for you and for our life that I couldn't see before we changed our scenery. So that's really refreshing and I think really necessary. I know, I know that you've spoken with other people about this and their lives had changed as a result of COVID. What were some of the bigger changes that, you know, you experienced before compared to after we all started quarantining? Yeah. I mean, I've enjoyed asking people like, will this experience change you? And it's funny because in many ways, I think that that question is premature. You know, there's going to be a lot written and thought and spoken about the effects of this period for years to come. But I still really enjoy the evolving answers from people because I'm not only interested in like that tidy narrative that we're all going to come up with and be telling like five years from now, like, because based on our perception of our experiences, we all often come up with a story, a narrative about that we tell about our lives and we believe that story and we tell that story. But I'm interested also in the messy unfolding of people's experience. And I guess my own, as much as I crave, you know, to know what that that end um, story will look like. But the short answer is like, yes, I think this is a life changing event, especially for our generation um, who has been dealt blow after blow, starting with 9-11, John and I are millennials. Um, And also potentially for Gen Z, I think it's really 
um, a life-changing thing. Although one could argue that they'll maybe have, they're just entering the job market. Maybe they'll have more time to recover and things like that than millennials will. But anyway, like, yes, this has absolutely changed my life. It will absolutely change me, short answer. And that longer, more evolving, messy answer is that, you know, there are the obvious ways that this affected me and us. Like, uh, if the pandemic hadn't hit, I would have spent most of the past six months in New York, you know, back there sort of exploring connections and leads that I had been busy setting up for months. And um, that all changed. So instead, I've had a really introspective and creative six months that was much more internal than it would have been had I gone to New York and pursued those those leads. So um, going forward, I mean, it's hard to say because the scenario looks different in um, in New York than it did when we were headed there. And um, that's not to say it won't happen, but yeah, everything's changed and we've, we've gotten new ideas. Um, like I was saying, not just from changing scenery, but even prior to that, I have new ideas about directions my life could take and, and our life could take. And we're both excited about those and we're kind of exploring like what those could look like and what those might mean. And, um, those absolutely would not have come to me had the pandemic not happened. So, I don't know if I was redirected to a different version of myself or if I was just like accelerated to a truer version of myself that was always going to emerge. And it's, it's impossible to say, but, but I can say uh, with certainty that this pandemic has shaped like the two or three potential paths that we see going forward. That's an interesting observation. I mean, I've noticed that your creativity has gotten more has sharpened and you've become more the person you are, I guess, consistently across everything. Is that something that you have felt consciously or is that something that you've sort of looked at now that we're talking about it as yes, compared to earlier? Well, thanks, Lovey. And um, yeah, you of all people know what a road that's been. And um, it's, that coming into myself has been a long process of, you know, undoing learned behaviors, undoing um, long held beliefs or assumptions and um, right. Coming into comfort and deeper acceptance of myself. And I didn't necessarily grow up in environments where I felt that or was taught that. So it did require some work down the road and that is ever evolving. Um, But I do feel yeah, more and more and more true to myself, to my own voice. And I'm not sure if the pandemic shaped that or not. I think that that was underway beforehand. And um, that in part has led me to these conversations on Let's Talk. I guess you just saying that out loud reminds me of coming into oneself is more about shedding than it is about adding, right? Mm -hmm. We're told that we have to become the people that we are. And truly it's somewhere around your late 20s, I guess, you have to start shedding stuff that you've put up around you Mm. to fit in to, you know, sit at the lunch table or make friends or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think so. It's like peeling away the layers of an onion, right? Or um, a flower blossoming to reveal what's what's been at the heart of it all along. And um, yeah, I think it 
it happens at different times for different people. I think for you and I, in our late 20s, we started focusing in on that in many different ways. And it's been um, a, a beautiful thing to to witness and I think to accompany each other on that path. But right, I think like there are so many um, learned behaviors from uh, families and communities that we grow up in and for some, it's harder to undo that than others. And I think like, because I didn't necessarily grow up in environments where I felt a lot of acceptance, belonging, and ease, um, that's become a real theme in my life. So again, coming back to Let's Talk, it's really important for me in this setting and on We're All Friends Here to make people feel at ease and to open a door for them to feel a sense of being hopefully heard and understood. Yeah. So you've been doing this uh, for a couple months. You've interviewed nine people uh, of all different uh, lifestyles and professions and places in their lives. What what are the things that you've learned from interviewing people about living during a pandemic? Oh my God, this has been just so invigorating and so inspiring really because all of these people... Well, first of all, it was a true pleasure and an honor to spend an afternoon with each of them. And I'll always, um, I'll always treasure that. But like you said, they all have different experiences and different anecdotes and different stories and different perspectives. But what I loved was the themes that emerged in all of them. And you know, it's not that nine people is a massive group, but I do think that these themes are telling of the human experience of what it means to be a person like trying their best in the year 2020. And I think while we all have different manifestations of that, there are these commonalities. So what I noticed was that number one, a lot of people talked about clarifying priorities. So there was, um, a lot of thought around, okay, how was I living my life before in the before times? And how am I living now? And how has slowing way down clarified for me, like how I actually want to live and how I actually feel fulfilled and content? And what do I need to like leave behind that I was doing before? And what do I want to carry forward? And slowing down and really taking that pause enabled people, it seemed to me to say, okay, this has been really clarifying in terms of who I am and what I care about. And I thought that was beautiful to witness. And the second thing is there was a recurring theme of searching for and securing hope. And this I found to be incredibly moving because people had their different ways of finding hope, but it really said something about the resiliency of the human spirit, the innate uh, resiliency and sort of like, Mm, yeah, this dedication to looking for hope and finding it wherever they can. So in episode one, Travis, love you, Travis, Ballinger said, um, hope is a revolutionary act. And that in a way shaped the remainder of the season because of course, we are living in a time <laughs> of chaos in the world and especially here in the U.S. Um, and it would be really easy to feel despair, right? And to feel uh, the chaos and the sort of like helplessness that comes from like, you, you know, you feel like you're breathing fire to try to like fight fascism away and like people around you aren't necessarily seeing it and it's alarming. And then when you look at the hurdles that stand between like 
right now and then providing like basic rights to people like healthcare and paid leave and these kinds of like things that we want everyone to have or we think people deserve in the year 2020 it's like <sighs> the hurdles of the the senate the way the senate is shaped the electoral college the election at hand and even on a really like obvious level the signs, for example, that you and I saw driving up and down the East Coast these past couple of weeks. And often we saw them in areas where we wouldn't have expected them, like areas that we consider to be blue strongholds. You know, we saw some alarming signs and that's a really jarring experience. So it would be easy to feel the despair of that, the fear associated with the fact that if we don't get our act together, more people are going to die. Like, you know, life on planet Earth is going to die along with just Americans, especially Black and Brown Americans. So it's like hearing people, you know, sort of like dig around in the muck. It's like the clam digger we saw in Maine. That's all I could think about when Herbie and I spent an afternoon watching this clam digger was like, he's digging around in the muck, just like we are, you know, trusting that these like worthwhile treasures are there. And it's the same thing, right? So everybody had their story of finding hope. And um, it's like, really speaks to resiliency. And all of their observations gave me hope as well. And, you know, there's this um, abolition activist that I heard an interview with earlier in the summer. Her name is Mariame Kaba and definitely recommend, you know, everyone reading her work on thinking, imagining beyond the prison industrial complex. It's really beautiful. Um, anyway, she spoke in this interview about hope being a discipline. And that was around the same time that Travis talked about hope as a revolutionary act. And I was just thinking, man, this is so true. We think of spiritual and religious practices, a meditation practice as a discipline. Like, hey, this is something that we show up for day after day after day, even a fitness practice, you know, someone who finds solace in that. This is something that we choose day after day. We show up for it. And hope is the same way, right? We we wake up every day and we choose hope. And that is um, something that I really took away from these conversations. It's a really um, beautiful and moving summary that you gave. Do you, do you think there's something to the complexity of our lives getting so fraught that there is a balance of the simplicity of hope being the thing? I think so, yeah. And I think... I think like simplifying wherever we can is going to help us because it's like, oh my gosh, like if you really look just um, hmm, like from an intellectual perspective at like the, the ways that this country could go and um, it can become really, really uh, confusing. And again, you can just feel so helpless. But I think like always reverting back to what Martin Luther King referred to as the arc of justice. He said the arc of justice, something like the arc of humanity is long, but eventually it always bends towards justice. And I think staying committed to that is one way forward. It's like Abby in her interview talked a lot about faith and faith as an artist, faith as a citizen. And I think like choosing to see the good again, 
that's a discipline. And I remember, you know, when Trump won in 2016, I feeling really gutted for so many reasons. And I remember some people saying to me, like, how did you not see this coming? America was built on this kind of hatred. And yes, it's true. But in that moment, I, I sort of like had no choice within myself, but to lean into hope and believe um, that things were going to go in one direction and that we were finally going to put a woman in a leadership role. And of course we didn't, but I wouldn't going back. I wouldn't give up that hope that I lived with. Yeah. So hope, hope was a theme that went through everything and any other common themes that ran through the discussions? You know, I think like along with the resiliency and hope and the real clarifying of priorities and purpose, um, there was just like a willingness to to find the joy and the delight and the levity and the humor. And um, that's one thing that the internet has been good for, right? Is like <laughs> these these moments of like, okay, all we can do now is laugh. Yeah, the joy, um, I, those were always some of the, my favorite parts of listening. Finding joy in these little moments leads to hope, which sort of gets you through and gets you through to the moment when the arc of history does bend towards justice, which it feels like we're a long way away from that. But mm. um, how are some of the conversations different? Well, you know, like I said, everyone's got their individual um, kind of experiences. And then another thing that I just loved observing was, um, and this is kind of a difference that leads to a similarity, but, um, you know, this is like a total language nerd, word nerd thing to note. But in the editing process, you know, I I spend a lot of time just cleaning up any meandering, any um, asides, any like ums, uhs, buts, pauses, silences. And, and you By the all way, come- I had none of those in mind. <laughs> none, none whatsoever. And, and then you helped me with a final cleanup. So thank you. As I was listening to those, I found it to be, okay. So the difference is that everyone has their own language ticks, their own form of pausing their own. Of course, like traditionally we know, like Americans are like, uh, French are like, and that's not what I'm talking about. Right. It's like, even within the English language, everybody has got their own brand of this. And as I'm editing it, I'm just like falling in love with it over the course of the summer because I found it to be so endearing because what I hear in that is people's deep-seated desire to be understood. So they are pausing to come up with the best word, you know, the best phrase that's going to help them find that sense of understanding and belonging. And I just found it to be so sweet. So I loved it. I love these little quirks that really just speak to people um, wanting to kind of be able to open up and have someone else uh, understand them. It is funny, the intimacy of editing someone's voice with not seeing their face. You really mm-hmm. hear the way that they deliver a point or when they're feeling unclear about themselves or, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's so beautiful that you um, identify that it is a shared desire to be understood and feel included. Right. It is. It is. Yeah. And that's like one of the, 
the things that kind of inspired the whole thing in a way, speaking of intimacy, which which is that, first of all, early in the pandemic, the New York Times had a beautiful piece on the intimacy of the phone call. And it was specifically the cocoon of the phone call and that feeling of like having someone else's voice in your ear and it's very cozy and it's very like, oh, they're miles away, but we're having this personal shared close moment. And this piece was in contrast to like, the rising popularity of video calls at that time, like to, to many of our dismay. Um, but it was like, yes, this is, I love this about the phone call. I'm like, okay, I need to call my friends more. And then secondly, the founder of StoryCorps wrote another great op-ed in the Times um, about how this period that we're living, we're witnessing is a wonderful time to talk to people about their experience and to... Um, ask them about what it's like living through a pandemic. So those two things combined with longstanding admiration of Krista Tippett um, inspired Let's Talk because I realized that We're All Friends Here was already um, hoping to cultivate these conversations about life's big questions. And at that point, it was almost a year old and I had spent a lot of time offering and exploring my own thoughts and life's big questions and their many fragments and threads and slivers and splinters even. And uh, I wanted to bring some other perspectives in. So I loved the collaborative aspect of, of expanding the conversation to include others. Throughout this entire, all nine conversations, you have ask people about their creative process and you reference sort of the, some of the things that inspired the project um, of, of let's talk, but can you talk about I, your creative process to me is so varied for mine, but it's so interesting to me because it works so well. It just wouldn't never work for me, um, which then makes it to me, it seems like magic. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk through how you got to the place where you said, I found 10 people, I'm going to do 10 conversations, it's going to be about this, and we're going to start tomorrow. Like, how do you get to that place? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, on a really sort of like pragmatic level, it was the the two pieces of inspiration that I just described paired with sort of like the purpose of we're all friends here. But on another level, I will say that I have always been inclined to seek these kinds of conversations that are that are rich with depth and meaning and you know like I remember saying to you when we first got married like hey I want to have dinner parties like I want people to come over for dinner and for our generation especially that was not really a big thing it was like hey let's meet at the bar or hey let's go check out this new restaurant which don't get me wrong, can be fantastic. And we've done that countless times. But I really appreciated the coziness and the care that comes from having someone into your home, feeding them. I love feeding people. It's partly my cancer moon at work. Um, I I just like really, um, really found solace in that, really found joy in that. And it's not something I grew up with. I rarely, if ever, experienced that 
through childhood, but I fell into wonderful relationships in college and then in graduate school. Shout out Chris and Kelly and Kelly, who is a guest on Let's Talk and uh, Richard and Allison in grad school. Um, And that period of being near them didn't last as long, but both of those experiences left a huge impression on me of like, oh, wow, like you can live in this way, this thoughtful kind of intentional way you can create these experiences for people that you care about. So, you know, I've jokingly called myself a dinner party advocate for years and, and I am. And, um, these conversations are kind of like in that same vein. Like I've always, and it's not that every conversation has to be like super intense, super like, um, heavy or something like that. Super like, oh, you better, you know, show me behind the curtain. There can be plenty of laughter and joking and silliness and, and whatever. It's just that I need for there to also be room for the realness. And, you know, I've seen this in friendships over time. Like there was a period um, when I experienced a really painful chapter in my family and my family had been headed to that for 40 years, but that didn't make it any less painful. This was in 2016. And in the months following, I was really sort of going through it. And there were uh, social circles that we would kind of find ourselves in that where I couldn't really talk about it or didn't, and you know, I get it. People don't want to bring up difficult topics. They don't want to make you feel bad and that's totally fine. But in return, I didn't necessarily feel comfortable bringing it up myself. So even though it was this probably the main pillar in my life, shaping my life at that time. So that clarified again, my priorities where I was like, all right, where am I going to invest time and energy going forward? Um, How am I going to cultivate the kinds of relationships, the kind of conversations where there's room for the the light and the dark, right? Like (laughs) you don't have one without the other. Um, If you just think in terms of shadows, for example, but it's like, yeah, let's talk as a natural sort of um, progression of, of my like the way I'm wired in that regard. And it's been a real pleasure to explore that in this format. Yeah, that that's, that is a really good summary of how it works for you. And it always feels like magic because one, one day you will say, I listened to this thing or I read this article and it's really great. And then like two months later, there will be this fully formed idea <laughs> that you had not spoken to me about, you had not told anybody about, maybe it's in your journal or something. And it's this whole thing that <laughs> then you, then you're talking to nine different people in a diverse setting and having oh, these really nice conversations. Thank you. Ranging, you know, limited topics, but it, they cover broad, this whole plethora of yeah, ideas. yeah, yeah. Right. Well, it's like, I, I think I neglected the part of your question that was about creative process because I wasn't even like linking this project to that, but I guess you're right. And so what I will add about the my creative process is that I have to get really, really, really quiet and then all kinds of things come in. And, you know, you see this time after time when you read about like artists' um, habits or whatever. And in some ways, I think those articles and those books are a little bit silly because you need to find your own way. Um, but it still is fascinating to see what worked for others. So that's fine. Um, but it's like, uh, you see like in Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, you see um, there are uh, painters who have talked about just kind of like stepping into the flow. I've heard Elizabeth Gilbert talk about um, there's this divine river of creativity and you can either like stand there on the banks or you can step in and go with it. And it's like, and I'm paraphrasing, but also I've heard um, 
in the business world. This this even found its way to the business world when they started talking about how to get in the flow. So for me, it's about getting very quiet. Being getting really embodied also helps really grounded. So I do a lot of walking, um, preferably in nature of some kind. I I do a lot of uh, yoga and I really get my channels clear and my nervous system calm. And when all the noise is out of the way, um, that's when I get ideas. And I'm not sure if the idea for Let's Talk came that way. It was like a a quick and explosive sequence of events, but it did come from my walks, right? Because my walks were often where ideas were coming in, where I was listening to other interviews that inspired me and and things like that. And uh, I guess that's how it went down. Watching you do this over the past couple of months, I've seen, I've seen you really enjoy the conversations and then part of the editing process and then putting them out. And what is it that kept you coming back and said, yeah, I'm going to do more. I'm going to make this another season or. Yeah, this was such a pleasure, like I said. And um, I think what I enjoyed most beyond the 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 hope that people find the sweet little language ticks that people have that are part of this like desire to express themselves. I just relish the opportunity to pause and to invite others to pause with me and with another person to listen and to enjoy the richness that each person offers, you know, and we we're so absorbed in this digital fragmented culture, sound bites 24 seven, a constant news cycle, constant clickbait and headlines that I find endless value in anything that explores the wholeness of people in a truer way. So I really valued the ability to pause and explore those worlds inside people that, you know, the internet can never represent in its fragments. So um, I'm really interested in the divine spark that I believe exists in everything around us, you know, every, every person, every, every living element. And um, I, I love the fact that if you open the door for people, hand them a microphone tell them that you're listening, you can almost always see that divine spark shine through. That's really nice. In, in starting and ending a project like this, um, it's often nice to take account of, you know, the journey and what's different. So um, how has this project changed you? And did you learn anything about yourself that you didn't know before? Hmm. Well, yeah, you know, in terms of how it's changed me, I think it's confirmed what I've known for a while, but on a new level that when someone wants to do something, often the best way to do it is to create your own um, little world in which it can exist. You know, otherwise, like, well, why wait for the world to open the door to you? Just go knock on the door yourself, right? So I learned that I'm capable of that in this regard. And I I see new potential for myself that's aligned with these types of conversations. And I think that it's meaningful to 
have them and to facilitate them and to cultivate them. So I'm hopeful that it can remain a theme in my life, you know, whether it's at dinner parties, having coffee with a friend or on Let's Talk. Um, And I remain very open to the seeds that have been planted and how, you know, what might emerge. And did you learn anything about yourself that you didn't know before? I think it was a confirmation of things that I already suspected or already hoped. Because I always sort of understood that I, I, I liked holding space for other people and that there is value to be explored in everyone, to be offered by everyone. And um, I think it confirmed that that is something that I can offer others if I want to. And that this is one way of doing it. So um, this chapter comes to a close. Have you thought about what comes next? I think the simple answer to that is that I'm going to keep getting really quiet and keep seeing what happens and what comes through. And I'm going to keep writing and I'm going to just stay true to the the things that we're all friends here has come to mean to me this past year. Um, and I'd, I'd like for it to be a place for others to think about these big questions that we don't always have time to think about elsewhere. And we don't, they're not always highlighted in mainstream outlets. And um, I'm seeing more and more people, you know, turn their gaze towards those kinds of questions, almost um, like a a gentle but collective awakening on some level. And I've talked to others about, you know, that they're kind of sensing and and noticing the same thing, whether it's in their work, in their business, or even just on the internet or, or whatever it is. So I'm really interested to see where that path guides all of us. So uh, you ready for a a lightning round? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) What is your favorite or some of your favorite things that you have read over the pandemic? Mm. It's hard not to just say what I'm reading right now, but God, I don't know. I mean, I'm reading The Lying Life of Adults by Lena Ferrante, and I'm just like so in love with it that I keep like rereading paragraphs and pages. So it's, I'm savoring it, right? Like it's taking me a longer time to get through than it might because I'm just like, wait, I want to read that again, um, which is so much fun. Is there a piece of music or a song that has been helping you through? I don't know if it's been helping me through, but I really enjoyed, you know, Gillian's um, pandemic releases. Those were fun to get to know on this recent road trip. Um And then overall, like when we want to just like feel good, the playlists for I May Destroy You have been like excellent. Yeah, that is so good, right? Incredibly good playlist. (laughs) Good for pretty much any occasion or time of day. It's weird how that works. Yeah. I thought I thought you were gonna drop Zero Thruster in there, but Well, I know that's like our recent thing. So John and I saw an incredible maybe a life-changing sunrise in Maine as one does and um we stopped short of buying the Cadillac Mountain Sunrise Club bumper sticker but uh we did have a wonderful time and after that it was just like I want to sing Zarathustra because 
Last year in Nashville, we saw 2010 Space Odyssey on the big screen at the Belcourt and, you know, loved it. So that film opens with Zarathustra in the sunrise scene. And so I was like, I want to sing it. I want to sing it. So what that means, because I can't exactly remember <laughs> the melody, is that John has to sing it first, and then I repeat it, and then I repeat it a couple times, and then I forget it, and then John has to sing it again. And then so then we went through a few rounds of that, and then we made our way back to the car eventually and started playing it on the radio, like over and over again. And we've been talking about it lately. It's been like in our heads. And then last night, um, we're back home. So we watched several different conductors conducting that opening. And we both like analyze them, like the big nerds that we are. John like did like sportscaster voice, like voiceover with the conductors. Like now he's doing this. Now he's doing that. You can tell he understands the harmonic progression. So, so yeah, that's, that's who we are people. Zarathush is a, like a 35 minute piece, but uh, we're talking about the first minute and a half, which <laughs> we play. We'll find, we'll find a way to link it to everybody. Everyone knows it. The, the thing in pandemic that you didn't expect would bring you joy that has brought you joy. Don't say me cleaning the house. <laughs> no, we are done talking about you cleaning the house on this podcast. Um, gosh. You know, all the things like reading and walking and and long conversations with dear friends, those were all important to me before the pandemic as well. So it's not that those were a surprise. Yeah, I mean, one surprise that's been nice is that my meditation practice has been strengthened as a result of just simply being in one place every day. So I've had a meditation practice for a while, but we were traveling a lot pre-pandemic, you know, and... um one of us was or both of us. And so the shifts in my routine would sometimes lead to like it not happening or like maybe I would wait and be like, okay, I'm going to do that after I like use yoga to prepare like my mind and body and nervous system, which is what yoga is all about. Um, but because I have been in one place, you know, this whole time, it's really strengthened my practice and that I'm like, all right, I'm here every morning. This is what I do every morning. I don't wait for yoga or anything like that. So that's been really nice. And it's really um, strengthened me and bolstered my own well-being through this chapter. Well, sweetheart, in editing and listening to these, I have often wondered what you thought about all the questions that you have asked other people. <laughs> and it's been really nice to hear um, your take and your observations and sort of how this whole project came about. I am personally looking forward to whatever happens to come next mm -hmm. and it will just strike like lightning. And then <laughs> one day there will be something. I am uh, a lightning baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, there will be no warning. It will just appear polished <laughs> and ready to go. Um, uh, that's how it seems, I guess. Thank you for taking the time. Mm, thank you. Lovey. Thanks for being here and, yeah, for supporting this whole thing. Hi, everybody. Lauren here one last time. I just want to say thank you so much for being here, for listening, and for joining me on this adventure. I hope that you found a place to rest, a place to pause a place to feel some sense of shared experience with myself and others. We are 
as they say, in this together. I will still be in your inbox every Saturday morning with an essay for We're All Friends Here, and I will let you know when and what you can expect to hear something more from Let's Talk. Until then, take care.